Hi, I'm Amy Suarico. I'm a director of cybersecurity at AT&T. The bad guys are attacking vulnerabilities in applications, your software. I'm Catherine Speglia, and this is Well Technically, the tech podcast where women do the explaining. Hi, Amy. It's so nice to have you on the podcast. It's great to be here. Yeah, so we are going to be talking about a very popular and important and increasingly important conversation, cybersecurity. But before we do that, I have to ask you, what is an example of a time in which being a woman has empowered you? You know, that's a really interesting question. But for me, it's also a really tough question because I don't tend to think of what I do in the context of being a woman. I feel empowered just as a human being when the work I do has a positive impact. So that is an example of that. Um, my work on API security here at AT&T has really helped drive AT&T to incorporate strong protection of our network and also of our customer data. So, you know, that first thing I said where I don't think of myself and, and what I've done in terms of being a woman, I think that's an incredible empowerment because if you never have to think of those terms in work, um, you've really kind of reached that end state of equality. You can just think of yourself as a person who contributes. And, and I think that's a really important lesson. I mean, for me, it's been an important lesson to take home. Totally. And I think achieving that is really important. Even if someone, because I think if you always think of yourself uh, as equal to everyone else around you, you don't get bogged down by the reality that maybe some people are underestimating you. You might not even see it, meaning you're not adjusting the way that you're behaving or the things that you're striving for. And then you can just kind of keep, you know, keep going and keep uh, achieving and moving forward and upward. So it's definitely uh, a nice lesson, like you said, to take home. You mentioned a little bit already what you do at AT&T, but let's kind of dig into that a bit more. Why is everyone so concerned about software security these days? And why should telco specifically be interested in this topic? Why is this issue such a big deal for them? Good. This is a much easier question for me. <laughs> um, it's a pretty simple answer because right now the bad guys are attacking vulnerabilities in applications, your software. Um, think about some of the most notorious vulnerabilities and attacks in the past few years. Solar Winds, Apache Struts, Log4j, all three of these were software problems. And they're really the tip of the iceberg. So it's no longer enough to just lock down your operating system and put firewalls in place. These controls, they're still super important. Um, but they don't necessarily stop application exploits. And that's what we really have to focus on now. From the standpoint of a telco, you kind of would sit there and go, well, why does a telco need to worry about this? Um, and again, that's a pretty simple answer as well. Um, more and more of our network is being implemented in software. So um, I've heard it described that the 5G network is radios, switches, routers, and software running on cloud hardware. And all the smarts about how that network works is actually in the software. So all of a sudden we flipped from these, from devices that got, got sent to a loading dock 
or appliances. We unpacked them, put them in a data center, and it ran. Um, we're now install we're now installing software packages, so we need to worry about it. Um, we want to make sure that the software is safe. Uh, that if vulnerabilities are found, they can be fixed quickly. And I do want to say that the telcos and telecom in general is really doing a great job of strengthening security. So if you look at 5G, it's more secure than any of its predecessors. Um, the industry as a whole has added a lot more rigor to, to the software testing in 5G. And also they're using security controls that we often associate kind of more with the IT side of the house, like TLS, and they're using that to protect 5G. I'm ex actually excited about the move to software because I think it's gonna help mobility and the operators adopt new security controls as they evolve rather than having to wait for the next generation of the network to be deployed. Yeah, it's absolutely. And I'm glad you kind of put in a little note there about how you feel the telcos are doing to address this because it seems like a big task if you have the targets shifting so much um, for these these bad actors. So it's nice to know that that you feel that telcos are really keeping up with it uh, and taking it seriously. Um, so what is software supply chain security and how would something like this help companies, at all companies even? I think of software supply chain security kind of as two parts. The first one is just knowing where the, all the code in an application came from. Basically, who was responsible for that code being written and included in an application. Um, secondly, and this is equally important, it's about shifting your security left in the software development process so that bugs are found and fixed while you're writing the code, not once it's been deployed. So security scans on your code that your developers are writing, you know, whether it be um, a telco writing it themselves or one of our vendors, it helps them find and fix their vulnerabilities in the code. They do it while they're writing. So that's great because it's it's really hard to go back in your application, you know, months later to go fix something that somebody found. You've probably forgotten what you did. It's a lot harder than you think. Um, these scans that we have running also can find vulnerable packages in your code so that you can update those, get on the latest, greatest version, and eliminate vulnerabilities that way. So it's really important to be focused on supply chain security um, because the big concern is that some kind that an ad amongst all of us is that an adversary is going to put malicious code into an application but it won't be discovered until the, it's exploited in production. This is everybody's nightmare. And, by, and the second part of that nightmare is that when it is exploited, it's gonna be really difficult to figure out how to fix it without breaking your application. And this is where we go back to that first point. It's kind of knowing where all the code in your application came from. And you do that with what's called a software bill of materials. And that software bill of materials helps me to quickly understand everything in an application and find all the vulnerable packages in my application and get them replaced in a, a rapidly so that I limit the exploit, I limit bad things that can happen. Okay, right. So this software bill of materials, I, I know you basically just told us on, on basic terms what that is and how it connects to supply chain security. What else can you tell me about 
the software bill of materials? So I think it's a really interesting thing because the best the best analogy I've ever heard on it is it's like an ingredient list on a package, but it's for software. Um, and this is really important because you've got to understand about modern software. It's got two pieces to it. First is you've got code that was written by your application developer. And then you've got packages that that software that were written by others. Those packages include other packages and so on and so forth. And these tend to be kind of the guts and very repeatable things that people have to do like parse, um, handle HTTP. And they're just included by the developer in their application because it makes it faster for them to write something. They're not constantly reinventing the wheel. By some counts, an average application contain, can contain over a hundred packages. Um, just kind of as a side note, typically these days they're open source. So if you look at that whole ecosystem that there's code my developers wrote that is very specific to the business problem I'm solving, and then there's all these packages, a hundred packages in there that came from all over the place. That's what the software bill of materials or SBOM gives you. It lists every single package in the code and associated with that package, it gives you the name and version. It gives you the supplier. So who was responsible for that package being written? It gives you a dependency type, like how deeply nested in, it is your, in your application is it? And then the last thing it gives you is the license for each package in the application. So that's great. If I have an SBOM for an application, I can tell you lots of things about it. You know, answer that question. Where did all the code come from? But then there's something you can build on top of that. If you build an SBOM database on top of that, this tells you about your entire portfolio. Because what you want to do, ideally, is get an SBOM for every application in your portfolio. And if you do that, then what happens is you can find if when some kind of a vulnerability is announced, you can find the affected applications in your port in your portfolio in minutes and immediately get the dev teams that were affected updating that vulnerable package or putting other compensating controls in place. When you don't have this the SBOMs for your application, you don't have this searchable database, the developers are going to have to come through their code, all of your developers, by the way, um, looking to see if their code contains that package someplace. Um, it's very time consuming and it significantly delays getting fixes into production. Um, kind of industry-wide, they've seen it as being with SBOM databases and that ability to search, it's less than two days to get your applications remediated um, versus more than 30 where you don't have that automated search available. And then there's the second piece about SBOMs, um, and this is for all your vendor code because everybody's using lots of code that they bought from vendors. You want to get SBOMs for that because then not then you're dramatically decreasing the number of vendors that you have to contact when some kind of a vulnerability is announced. Yeah, I mean, that sounds like really important and a really powerful tool uh, for, for companies. What are some of the other controls for software supply chain security or even just any other insights you might have here? So I, I, I really think on top of this SBOM database, which is very actionable, we know how to go about getting it. It's well-defined. Um, everybody's kind of getting on board with it. 
there's this other piece to it that's equally important. And, and that's that software organizations need to shift their security left. And we know we've all been hearing about shift left for a number of years now. Um, but it's really important to do that. And there's, like I said earlier, there are plenty of tools that help you do that, like application security testing, um, both static and dynamic. Um, your software composition, which I talked about, these regular software updates. And finally, this use of good CICD practices. Um, that's the continuous integration and continuous delivery. It's pretty much these days how people deliver, write and deliver code. All of these, these tools, they help developers find and fix bugs in their software as they're writing it. Super important to do. But then there's some other cultural changes to be made because that, that kind of, I always equate kind of these, the, the scanning tools a little bit like spell checkers and grammar checkers. Yeah, we all whine about them, but we also depend on them. They're great, easier to fix something then. But I think that part of this cultural change of shifting your security left is that software organizations are gonna to have to make, make package upgrades part of every software release. Now, I came out of development years ago um, and I can tell you that upgrading packages is like the worst job in the world for developers because you gotta figure out all the impacts it could have on your code. But this is where more and more of the vulnerabilities are coming out. Remember those three that I mentioned before, those are all packages people include in other code. So you've got to have that mindset. It's just part and parcel of every release. And what you want to do is make sure you're using, your developers are using the latest and greatest package because that has been shown across the industry to reduce the number of vulnerabilities in your code. Um, it does not guarantee you'll be vulnerability free. I, I want to be clear about that. But it does mean that there will be fewer vulnerabilities in your code. I want to now turn to the CICD practices. Those are really super important because they keep bad guys out of your code. Those are all the practices that do things like limit the number of people who have access to the source code, limit the number of people who can contribute to the source code, and put in place a review process where somebody besides the developer has to look at that contribution, figure out how it fits into the code, see if it's, if it's correct, make sure it's been tested and only then included in the code. And I can't under, underestimate, I, I really I cannot emphasize enough how important those practices are to keeping the bad guys out of your code and keeping things happening to your code that you did not expect to happen. I mean, Amy, I feel like you really walked us through some solid takeaways here for organizations that need to better protect their software, which these days is is most <laughs> most organizations, even telcos. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast and talking to me. Well, thank you so much. It was really fun. Well, Technically is an Arden Media production. For advertising inquiries, contact Danny Miller at dmiller at ardenmedia.com.